I think it's my turn. You just sort of get lost in the worship, don't you? What a blessing. How glorious is our God. Let's turn in our Bibles to Psalm 16. Psalm 16. And you'll not get extra credit for it, but to be ready, you might also turn to the book of Acts. The book of Acts. Maybe just keep a little sticky note there or something. Psalm 16. You know, so often we we run to the Psalms of David with our feelings of sadness and distress and fear, anxiety, maybe even depression. And why do we do that? Well, it's because though David was Israel's privileged king, he knew a life of sorrows, didn't he? he? He knew what it was to have great difficulties. In fact, the striking thing about David's life is that he uh, was a privileged man, a, a man after God's own heart, the scripture says. And yet he experienced many troubles. And, and this is really the paradox of the Christian life, isn't it? God's people are the privileged people on planet earth. I hope you know that. And yet we certainly are not exempt from the profound difficulties that come uh, to those who live in a fallen world. And, and sometimes those great sorrows and difficulties uh, relate in some way to the reality that we are in fact God's people and, and we're swimming upstream uh, from the standpoint of what is going on in the world today. And, and this is particularly the context of Psalm 16. David uh, takes his deep fears and his anxieties to God, and, and in doing so, he, he cuts a, a really clear trail for us, those of us here today who are heavy-hearted. Our minds already are preoccupied with some difficulty, some trouble that's, that's weighing us down or making us anxious. David has, uh, by God's grace, cut a trail for us for our own times of distress. Psalm 16, if you're someone who writes in your Bible, and that's a, that's a good thing, it's not disrespectful to do that. If you want to remember what this psalm is about, it really answers for us the question, what does it mean to trust in God? How many of you know it's really easy to say that you trust in God? And though we're all swell people, each one of us is capable of being self-deceived in thinking that we are, in fact, trusting in God. But what does that actually mean? What does that actually look like? We're going to see in this psalm that true trust in God leads to a very different way of thinking and living compared to the rest of the world. Common to all people are trials and difficulties, but it is the unique privilege of the people of God to know him in such a way that we can say, as David does, the Lord is my portion. And so, so let's just read this psalm now. Let's dig into this a bit and see uh, with God's help, what, what it is to trust God. 
Psalm 16, a mictum of David. Preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. O my soul, you have said to the Lord, you are my Lord. My goodness is nothing apart from you. As for the saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Their sorrows shall be multiplied who hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood I will not offer, nor take up their names on my lips. O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope for you will not leave my soul in shale, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. What in the world is a mictum of David? You know, the answer is I don't know. And it seems to be, if you read uh, the scholarship uh, with respect to the Psalms, nobody knows. And so rather than just reciting what all the various ideas are, let me, let me just suggest a way out of this thing. The mictums of David, Psalm 16 and, and Psalms 56 through 60, uh, it's thought perhaps were a collection of hymns um, before, they were, before they found their way into the Psalter at large. Uh, but all of them deal with this business of trusting in God. The nitty-gritty details that you could add up and sum up as trusting in God. And so Psalm 16, I don't think I'm freelancing too much here in suggesting that this psalm, as well as those others that I mentioned, really are a soundtrack for the way God's people live in the face of great difficulties. There's something different about the people of God because they belong to him. David, though in great distress of some kind, sings of confidence and he sings of contentment and he sings of courage despite all that depresses and frightens and makes him anxious. Look at verse one. Protect me, O God, for in you I put my trust. Some crisis has invaded David's life. Uninvited, unwelcome, And David's first response is to do what he's always done. He cries out to God to to, to seek shelter in God alone, in God above all else. David trusts in God. And, and, And you think perhaps, well, of course God's people trust in him. I mean, that just, um, that's, that's the big crayon stuff, right? We all trust in God. Well, listen, this soundtrack of how the saints suffer shows us that trust in God is not simply a warm 
sentiment that we get from time to time. It's not a passing impulse that, that, that fades quickly. It's not something we give lip service to. To trust in God is to live with God at the center of my thinking and my acting day by day. I am a God-centered person as opposed to what? Anything else. David has a single-mindedness as one who finds real shelter in God. No matter what is happening within him, no matter what is happening around him. And let, let me just provide a contrast, as if we needed one. Um, but, it, but if you were to take out your, your wallet or your purse, um, and, and you just looked at the currency in there, if you have any in there, inscribed on all of our currency in this country are the words, in God we trust. And, and that is a wonderful thing. Don't misunderstand me. What, what a blessing it is to live in a land where we print on our very currency, in God we trust. But the thing of it is, is you and I both know that most Americans use that currency without giving any thought to the motto that is stamped on it. I, I, think, I think it would be a bit of a stretch uh, for us to argue uh, that it is so throughout our land that all people trust in God. That's simply not the case. Ironically, many Americans trust in the currency itself that is stamped in God we trust. Many Americans trust in the government that has stamped the currency in God we trust. And perhaps many more Americans trust in themselves so long as the currency and the government are going the way we want them to go. You see, there, there's always the danger of these things being practical. In God we trust. What, what, what does that even mean? Money and government and self are the primary idols of our day. And that's why it is not well with so many people when the government isn't run the way we want it to be run, uh, when, when the money isn't in the supply we want it to be in, when self isn't regarded the way we want self to be regarded, treated, there is discontent. And, and it seems to me, and maybe I am freelancing a bit here, but it seems to me that much of our misery in that sense is not really the fruit of our circumstances, it's the fruit of idolatry. It's the fruit of trusting in anything or anyone other than God. To trust in God is to live with him at the center of our thinking and our acting day by day. Preserve me, O God, sings David, for in you I put my trust. For, for, for Israel's King David, trust in God is a settled reality that has ongoing effects. In other words, now that he has proclaimed his trust in God, he's now going to begin to explain, well, what in the world does it even mean to trust in God? Because there are some activities, if you will, there are some experiences, so to speak, that are 
common in the people of God who truly trust in God. So, so the, the rest of this song really answers that question. What does it mean to trust in God? If, if we're not going to be people who just say that, if we're not going to be like those people who just carry that idea around in our wallets without giving any thought to it, what does it even mean? Look, look at verse two. Oh, my soul, you have said to the Lord, you are my Lord, my goodness is nothing apart from you. And, and, and you read a verse like that and you think, well, wait a minute now, is David speaking to himself or is he speaking to God? And the answer is yes. <laughs> because as he's crying out to God, he's preaching to himself. He's, he's crying out to his own soul. You are my Lord. Remember that from uh, Psalm 8. Um, you, Yahweh, the one true God, you are my Lord, my Adonai, my, my master. David lives with the, the constant awareness that he is the servant of another, the Lord himself. He is not his own master. The Lord is his master. To trust in God is to submit to him and serve him as master. Now, simple as that is, and some of you might be thinking to yourself, well, you know, I'm, I'm fairly certain I've heard this before. As simple as that is, do you see what, an, what, what a paradigm shift that is in the way a person looks at life? I am not my own. I am not a self-governed, self-directed, self-satisfying person. Oh, Lord, in you I trust. You, God, are my master. I'm the servant. It's not the other way around. And, and what a benevolent master our God is. David knows that his master, God himself, is the giver of all good things that he sees and experiences every day. And so it is for us today. Sitting as we are on comfortable chairs. Do you realize those are three-hour sermon chairs? We, we, we paid extra for them. It's in the catalog. We breathe clean air and we worship our God who was glorious without fear of somebody busting in here, arresting us, dragging us off like criminals. This is the goodness of God. If you're fixing to eat lunch today or dinner or whatever it is you're going to do, that is a gift from God. The beautiful sunshine that's melting all of this wretched snow <laughs> is, a, is a gift from God. But you see, the snow is too, isn't it? And come August, we'll be glad we had that snow. All of this is God's goodness. Now, we're going in a direction, so, so pay attention here. This psalm, clearly written in a time of distress for David, um, you know, if, you, if you're crying out to be preserved, it's because you're in danger, Right? Uh, if, if you're crying out to the Lord as your refuge, that it means you need shelter from something. 
We don't know what the issue was. But we do know that David has trained himself to keep his gaze on all of life as a whole, not just the minutia of the trial that he's experiencing. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm going to experience this stuff, but I need to think biblically, meaning that I got to get way up in the bleachers and look at life as a whole, not just the, the mess that I find myself in in the present. And it seems to me, I'm only going to speak for myself, but I, you know, I, I tend to not do that well by nature. And I'm guessing some of the rest of you can relate to this. What do we tend to focus on? Well, we, well, we focus on the one thing that troubles us. We, we focus on the one thing that is the source of anxiety. And, and before we know it, well, maybe not us, but you know, the people in the next service, we're derailed in terms of practical trust in God. I'm not talking about our position. I'm talking about the way we live our lives. And the watching world looks at that, if nothing else, and says, good heavens, why in the world would I want that? I lack something I feel I need or I want. I'm not being seen by others the way I want to be seen or, or treated by others. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm in this position, but you know, I'd really rather be in that other one. And it becomes our obsession. It overshadows life as a whole. And if we'd look at life as a whole, we would see, as David does, the goodness of our God to us in all things. And he never changes. God is immutable. He's, he's always going to be good to his people. God has always been gracious and kind to me, sings David. It's God alone who chooses us and uh, provides for us and no one else, nothing else. Doesn't the scripture say to us, every good gift comes down to us from the Father of lights, says James, with whom there is no shadow of turning. God is always good. And, and David rejoices then that he belongs to God from whom all goodness flows. He, he knows this. And I, and I want you to notice that God, or excuse me, David doesn't just keep his gaze on God. He keeps his gaze on people. And I'm not suggesting that we watch people in some sort of creepy way. But, but David is considering the types of people that he sees around him. Remember, Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 tell us that there's, there's two kinds of people on planet Earth, right? That despite all of the diversity, there's basically two kinds of people. There are those who live with affection for the word of God and allegiance to the God of the word. You've heard this before. Don't look surprised. And there are those who do not. And we meet them here in Psalm 16 once more. Look at verse 3. As for the saints who are in the earth, they are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. The excellent ones, David says. The sorrows of those who have bartered for another God will be multiplied. I shall not pour out their drink offerings of blood, nor will I take their names upon my lips. Well, what's he saying? 
Well, he's looking at the people of God. And he's looking at those who are not the people of God in practice. And so many people, when life gets very difficult, they abandon the people of God. That's not unique to our day. This was common in Israel as well. Some of you remember when we were studying, uh, for example, the book of Hosea. It was all about that. The idolatry we read of in uh, the Old Testament prophets, a lot of it looked really churchy. In other words, it was people who named God who nonetheless did not love God and did not live for God. And David looks at the company of God's people and he delights to see the saints of God and he, and he identifies warmly with them. He truly loves God's people. And if you live with God at the center of your thinking and the center of your acting, you will love others who do likewise. Doesn't it make your heart glad to be in the company of God's people? Not perfect people. That's not what he means when he says they are the excellent ones. He means that they are attached to his God and therefore they are his family and he loves God's family. Do you love the saints? I mean, not as a concept. I mean, in reality. Because you can be sure of this. You're not trusting in God if you live your life willfully alienated from the people of God. Do you enjoy the company of God's people? You have a sense in your heart of a need for God's people and their need of you? Delighting to, to live life alongside them, not simply to breathe the same air once a week. To trust in God is to delight in the company of his people. And says David, to forsake the ways of the wicked. What, 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 what's he getting at? Who are the wicked? Well, well, remember Psalms 1 and 2 again. The wicked may well be really nice people. And they may well be people who are uh, getting along just fine in life by the world's measure. The wicked are simply those who don't love the word of God and don't love God, the God of the word, okay? And David says, you know what? I am not going to take my comfort and my help and my hope from the ways of the wicked, the ways of those who are alienated from God. Think of it this way. We know this by experience, most of us. So often God provides comfort and encouragement and instruction for us through his body, through the church, through the assembly of God's people. It's a work of God, but it's a work he chooses to do through spirit-indwelt people like us. What a, what a wonderful, mysterious thing this is that God condescends to use people like us. And we can look at the church as David does and contrast the, the wellness and the strength of its members. I was thinking about that as you all were singing. If, if, if someone just completely clueless were to be among us and say, how do you explain the joy among the people here? 
How do you explain the glad confidence among the people here? What's the secret? Where do you get that? Well, it's the aggregate of a whole bunch of people who find their shelter in God, isn't it? Who have their hope in God. And in David's life, there were the people of God, but then there also were a whole bunch of people who named God, but didn't know God and didn't love God. In reality, their comfort and their security were found in idols. What idols? Well, the same idols we have. Material things, government, self, the people who did not delight in the law of the Lord as the blessed man in Psalm 1, people who refused to kiss the son, the Lord's anointed of Psalm 2. And maybe they were those who had defected from the assembly of God's people, not so much with words, but with their manner of living. Do you suppose that kind of crisis is happening in the world today? A whole bunch of people name God, don't actually know God. So we read a psalm like this and we pray that God gives us grace as he did to David so we'll not take our habits in living from those who are apart from God. David refuses to abandon his active trust in God. Let's look at verses five and six. O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. The, the words portion and cup and lot all are, are various ways of saying that, that the Lord is David's all-sufficient one. The Lord is David's everything. When, when God's people thought of their portion, they thought of the, the, the land that was uh, their ancestral inheritance back when God's people entered the promised land. God's people thought of a cup. They thought of the overflowing blessing that is theirs because unlike anyone else, they actually belong to God. They possess God as their own by his own grace. Remember when we were looking at Psalm 23 and we, and we saw in verse five, David said this, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. It can be well with me even when I've got opposition all around me. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. That This cup of grace and hope and help from the Lord to his people is not merely filled to the brim, it's overflowing. It's bottomless, David says. There's no end to my master's sustaining graces. There's never a time when what I need from him, he withholds. And still today, friends, how many of you are glad that there's no end to God's forgiveness? Because don't you find day by day, if you listen to your conscience at all, 
that day by day you're in need of God's forgiveness. And the cup of his forgiveness runs over, doesn't it? How many of you realize that you need mercy from God every day? Every day you crave not to receive from God what you actually deserve, don't you? And the cup of mercy extended to his people is a bottomless cup. Every day we crave grace. What is grace? It's, it's to receive from the Lord what we cannot obtain on our own, what we don't deserve. And the, and the cup of God's grace to his own is an overflowing cup. It's a bottomless cup, isn't it? I am his and he is mine, David says, and it will always be so. That's never going to change. The Lord is my portion. You are the portion of my inheritance. Now let me just stop here, but don't get all excited because we're not done. Um, do you know that blessing? Well, I've heard of it before. I'm not asking you that. Do you know that blessing? Is this your song? Do you know the blessing of not merely receiving good things from God, but possessing God himself as your own? Because he's got you and it's never going to change. Do you, do you know that blessing? So many things we have to learn in life, don't we? I'm thinking about, have I mentioned that we have grandchildren? <laughs> thinking about this, holding the, the, the latest one, little Poppy. She's going to have to learn. Their parents are hoping that she learns the difference between night and day with respect to sleep because they're, they're inverted. And then she's going to have to learn how to, how to walk and talk and do all sorts of things. Um, all throughout life, we have things that we have to learn. Is it really a three-hour sermon seat or not? We don't know. We have, we, we, we have to experience it, don't we? And I'm, here, and I'm here to help you, aren't I? But listen, how can you not read the Psalms of David and not be struck by the fact that you and I have to learn how to suffer well? You know how to suffer What does it mean to trust in God? David says, you know what? I'm not going the way of the idolater. I'm, I'm not going the way of the lukewarm. In you, I trust. It's not a feeling. It's not some words to mouth like a mantra. It's not a little phrase to... You know, as if it's, it's kind of a magic expression in that sense. It's to think and act with God at the center of life in everything. It's sub to submit to him and serve him as master. God does not revolve around me. Do you realize that God does not revolve around you? It's the other way around, isn't it? To trust in God is to delight in his people. And, no, and notice in verse 7, the central position that the word of God 
has in this whole area of trusting in God. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. David has learned the wisdom, the discipline of counseling his own heart, not with his own knowledge and not merely with his feelings, but with the wisdom of God's word. If you're going to talk to yourself, as most of us do, well, let's at least choose the words that we use, right? Why not preach to ourselves the wisdom of God that's been hidden in our hearts when we, because we know every hour we're in need of God's wisdom. And God's counsel directs us and disciplines us and encourages us all throughout uh, life. The truth of his word in the hands of the Holy Spirit is the best counselor we will ever have. Do you believe this? Many of you right now are putting this into practice because, because you're gathering here on Thursday nights and you're digging into the scriptures to figure out what in the world the gospel has to do with marriage. Well, it turns out it's everything to do with marriage. Some of you are here trying to figure out what in the world uh, the gospel has to do with money. Do you realize all of your money is God's money? That we are stewards of every good gift the Lord sends our way? And it's, and it's through counsel from the word of God, not whims of our own, that we figure out what it is to actually be a steward of what God has blessed us with. Some of you are gathering here on, on Monday nights to learn you know, what in the world does it even mean to live in the presence of God. That's really what this psalm is about. Quorum Deo, living in God's presence under his authority. This world's counseling and self-help industry would go bankrupt if people would simply run to the word of God and read it in the power of the spirit of God and obey what it says. So if you're gonna be somebody who says, I trust in God, that means you're a person of the word. You've never outgrown that simple habit of turning to the scriptures and asking yourself, is there, is there a promise here I'm actually meant to believe? Is there a sin that has come to the light of my conscience through God's word that I need to repent of, turn away from? Is, is there a command here that I've just taken in through the word of God that I'm actually meant to obey? And you say, well, we know this stuff. Yes, but, but you see, in God we trust is on your currency too, isn't it? You just don't think about it that much. To trust in the Lord is to crave to know and obey his word. But do, do you care if this is practical for a minute? Um, you are not trusting in the Lord, young people, if you're dating someone who doesn't know the Lord. Because his word tells you not to do that. You'll never find chapter and verse that has to do with missionary dating. You're not trusting in the Lord if your greatest hope 
is found in what is going on in the political realm or what is going on in the realm of government, you know, making sure our guy gets in this time instead of their guy, that sort of thing. As important as those things are you know, from, from a human standpoint, God's word tells us that the hope of this world is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I often wonder, what would happen if at least half of the energy that we spend grinding our gears over what's going on in the world around us went to actually telling somebody about Jesus, the hope of the world. And we're certainly not trusting in the Lord if his word is not our primary counsel for life's difficulties. God's word is the lamp unto your feet. Have you heard this before? Of course, of course. Not man's wisdom. Not, not the latest self-help book. And, there, and there's a need for discernment in this too because all of this stuff in our culture has been sort of Christianized. And the idea is that if you put a fish on it, on the back, it's usually on the back, and that's how you know it's a good book, right? No. No, you know it's a good book if it reflects this book, the Word of God. Well... We cannot speak of trusting in the Lord without hearing and heeding his word. Okay, Rem remember Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And around about now in this song, you could be led to think, you wouldn't be right, but you could be led to think that David's confidence really is just all in what he's doing for God. I love God's people, I'm in his word, and so that is my hope. I want you to notice in verses eight and nine that he makes very plain that God is the source of his security and his wellness. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. This is how a Christian faces uncertain times. David resolves to live in the conscience, conscious presence of the Lord. The, the, the Lord is the, the supreme object and relationship in his life. Rather than only looking at the trials, the discouragements, the unfulfilled wants, all of that sort of thing, he looks to God. It, you, you, you get the sense that for David, God is not a concept, an idea. God is a person with whom he has a relationship. And David speaks to God and God listens. And God speaks to David in his word. David listens. This is where his mind goes. And it's the normal pattern in David's life. Let me just ask you something. Is it the normal pattern in your life? I know for many of you it is, praise God. And I pray this morning you don't have some sense of being scolded 
but simply instructed, helped by the Lord who speaks to you through his word. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote a book called Spiritual Depression in the Psalms. And and, And he says this, he says, if you want to find the Lord when you're in trouble, set him before you when you're not in trouble. I mean, if that's, I probably should have just led with that. It could have shortened things up a bit. But um, just think of the wisdom of that. If the default setting is God at the center, we're not left wondering what to do when difficulties come because the Lord is before me, because he has my gaze, and because I live every second of my life in his gaze. I will not be shaken. So David's hope is not generic. It's actually quite specific. And that brings us to why we're calling this little series Christ in the Psalms. You get the sense that as David even considers his own mortality, his own death, he yet trusts in the Lord. Look at verse 10. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Think about this as people who live in a world that does everything possible not to think about death. And yet there's a 100% death rate among people. You will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Sheol is simply the state of death. Uh, David considers what it is to die, and he says, you know what? Even there, even in that state, God will not abandon me. Death, for God's people, does not get the last word. Death is not an ongoing defeat for the people of God. It is a victory. And so here is David, he's singing of himself, but you get the sense that he's also referring to someone else, isn't he? We're calling this series Christ in the Psalms because in the Psalms we find Christ who has always been the hope and refuge of God's people. All the way back in Genesis, we see God's promise to redeem his people, to deliver his people, even from death itself, revealed. And it's revealed progressively, isn't it? So here is an instance in your Old Testament of hope in Christ, however dimly perceived. It's it's revealed more and more plainly as we move from Genesis to the prophets and and, and then uh, it's explained to us clearly in the New Testament, in in the life and work of Jesus Christ. And so I suggested to you, are you still listening? I suggested to you that you um, turn to the book of Acts. Some of you have already done this in, in recent days. Because before you read a psalm and you run to Google and you say, hey, what does Psalm 16 mean? I'm in a bit of a hurry. Uh, Or I I wonder what Piper thinks of that. I wonder what MacArthur thinks of it. I wonder what Sproul thinks of it. Those are all good things to do, by the way. Shouldn't we first ask what God thinks of it? And in the book of Acts, we find a commentary on much of our Old Testament. 
right here in Psalm 16, David is prophesying of Christ. Let's, let's listen to part of Peter's sermon at Pentecost. This is Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 22. And we're going to read a bit of it, so don't be alarmed. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet and not knowing that God had sworn with, and knowing, excuse me, knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus, God has raised up of which we are all witnesses. So Peter makes clear that David is prophesying of Christ and he knows that he is prophesying of Christ. What David wrote was predictive. He's describing the hope that he has for himself as he considers even death as an enemy. But his hope is not in himself. His hope is in the greater David, the, the, the promised Messiah, the, the one whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, the one who shares his kingdom with his people. Death itself, sings David, is defeated in this greater son who is to come, Christ himself. He knows then that he will be raised one day in the resurrection. Do you have that hope? That, that, that death doesn't get the last word? So you're not living in fear of death as much of the world is today? Hoping against hope that we're not gonna die? Listen, friend, let me love you enough to say you're gonna die. And I am too but I belong to the one who has conquered death and shares his victory with his people. Do you believe this? Because the thing of it is, is it actually shapes the way you live your life. Listen to, to Paul's 
preaching on this psalm. This is from Acts 13, beginning with verse 35. Therefore, God also says in another psalm, you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers, and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up saw no corruption. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. David knew a whole lot about Jesus, didn't he? According to Peter and Paul, David foresaw Christ's resurrection. In fact, David, though a king, a privileged man, suffered so much because he typified, didn't he? The king of kings, the man of sorrows, who would come and conquer sin and death for his people. And so that's why we can wrap this thing up today with the idea that Psalm 16 really could as well be coming from the lips of Jesus, not just David. What, what, what do I mean by that? Who but Christ, the blessed man of Psalm 1, the, the, the son to be kissed of Psalm 2, who but Christ has truly and perfectly trusted in the Father? Not David. David didn't. And here's the thing. You haven't either. And neither have I. Who but Christ only thought and acted with the Father at the center of life in all things? Only Jesus. Only Jesus. Who but Christ submitted to the will of the Father who lived as a bondservant subordinate to the will of the Father even to the point of death on a cross that he might shed his blood for the forgiveness of his people's sins. Who but Jesus delighted in his elect people, calling them friends, not ashamed to call us brothers, the writer of Hebrews says to us. Only Jesus, only Jesus. So there's a sense in which Psalm 16 is to do with only Jesus. Because only Jesus in the ultimate sense, could say with complete credibility, the Lord is my portion. So David sings in verse 11, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So ultimately, Psalm 16 encourages us to anchor our hope to the Lord Jesus. Is, is, is Christ your hope today? 
Not that a, a circumstance might change for you. It may not. Not that you'll ever be seen a certain way by others. You may not. Is Christ alone your hope? Do you see in Christ personified all of the good things that God has for his people? Forgiveness? Acceptance? The security of an eternal life that you can't lose and can't be taken away from you? What does it mean to trust in God? Well, it means that we belong to Christ and that we live out our days with God's help as those who know that we're saved and we're supplied and we're secured by him for eternity. How different this is from those who simply have the words in God we trust stamped on what they find in their purse. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this beautiful song. We thank you for this anthem of trust in you. We thank you that we experience your rich blessings that we read of here because we're indwelt by your spirit and you minister these very truths to our hearts. And Lord, I pray that you would not allow us to simply be familiar with this psalm, but Lord, that by your grace it would actually inform the way that we look at life and live our life. Let it be true of us, your people, that we trust in the Lord, that you are our portion. We thank you, Lord, for showing us what that looks like. And Lord, I pray if there are those among us who are apart from you. Maybe they have heard of your grace in Christ many times. But Lord, you've spoken to their hearts just now through your word. And you've exalted your son among us. Lord, I pray that you would bring saving grace to hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen.